for prayer. Father, we do thank you that you indeed are the sovereign one over all things. There's nothing that takes place in your world that uh, you are not in control of. And uh, we rejoice in this truth. We're thankful for this, that we don't live in a chance universe, that uh, we live in a, a universe that's ordered by a personal, infinite God, one who loves us in Christ, who has redeemed us despite our own rebellion. And we thank you for this. We thank you that uh, we can now uh, consider your word and look into uh, it this morning. We pray for this class and we pray for all of the classes that meet. We pray that as the word is uh, preached and uh, exposed and, uh, and spoken and taught and uh, exhorted in all of the classes that uh, the Holy Spirit would use it in a powerful way. Pray for the youth and the young people as they meet this morning in classes from the children right up to this class. We pray that your word would go forward in the power of your spirit and do its work which you alone can do, especially in the saving work, we pray for those that know you not. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Now, if you turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, what we're going to do is, um, I've entitled this sort of mini-series, Totalitarian Medicine and a Christian Healthcare. Totalitarian Medicine versus Christian Healthcare. And um, it's been, I, I think, uh, somewhat troubling, I suppose, people's acceptance of modern medicine and uh, where it's heading and where it has been already in history and uh, concern over that. And just what should a Christian's view be when it comes to health care, looking after one's body, uh, the right of the state to be involved in one's health and so forth. All of these issues are major issues and particularly um, in our society where we see an increasing totalitarianism. Um, and uh, the last three years just give us an indication of what we can probably expect if we don't um, prepare ourselves and uh, push back against the state. Now this isn't anything new and we'll talk about that this morning. So this morning, uh, when I mentioned it to Josh and to Harry at an elders meeting, uh, they were very enthusiastic about it. And I said, well, I'll just give a quick overview for a Sunday and... Uh, and then uh, Harry said, well, maybe it might be a few more sessions. And uh, I suspect it might be four sessions. Uh, because I want to give you an overview this morning, some of the big picture issues. Then next week, uh, Lord willing, look into the medical model itself. What is the medical model? I mean, what does it presuppose? What are the foundations of medicine, modern medicine? I think it's quite troubling if you actually think about it. Um, and then talk about the medical industry and some of the issue, the pharmaceutical industry, um, the size, its magnitude, its influence, and just what should a Christian's view be in terms of that. And then the last two, 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 two uh, sessions will be actually just breaking down what a Christian worldview would be, like Bible verse passage, how should we approach um, health care. And uh, it, it, is, it's, it is a big topic. The more you get into it, the more you realize that uh, you're probably bit off an awful lot. So we're going to try to again, hopefully challenge you to think about this very important area. It's always been an important area, right, since the beginning of time. And um, historically, uh, medicine has been a tool of the state to do nasty and wicked things. And I think most of us realize that. And so we need to, in Canada, as we see an increasingly pagan, uh, pagan world that we live in, a pagan country, it should not surprise us that our hospitals will become the killing fields of the West. And that should concern us, too. And we should be prepared. Let's just read a couple of verses from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 
down to 20 to the end of the chapter and uh, just setting some of the tone here of uh, the topic that we're going to speak about. It's Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 to the end. For this commandment I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to to take possession of. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish You shall not live long in the land that you are going over Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For if he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Choose life or choose death. That's really what we're facing, I think, as we look at this topic. Um, If you reject the life giver, don't expect to find much life in the culture. And so let me begin with um, just an introduction, as I say today, and give you a little historical, just a bit of historical perspective on this topic. Basically, 100 years ago, uh, the German medical profession was one of the most advanced and well-respected in the world. At that time, you know, in the early 20th century, many German doctors, along with many leading intellectuals and elites, believed in what they called racial hygiene or eugenics. We talked a little bit about eugenics last year in our Doctrine of Man study. And that means that they believed you could perfect human beings and eliminate social ills through genetics, sterilization, and planned breeding. This environment, which spawned Planned Parenthood in 1916, run by uh, Margaret Sanger, which many of us know, was a eugenicist, and a, a wicked and wicked and evil woman who started Planned Parenthood, who then has bred to the, uh, the whole issue of abortion, Uh, in the United States and around the world. This environment of eugenics and the environment in the early 20th century, just going back to this as one example, historical example, um, created the ideal circumstances for Hitler and the Nazis when they came to power in 1933. And the Nazis took the idea of eugenics, which was an evil theory, and applied it in wicked ways, as many of us know. But I think we should be reminded of just what took place less than 100 years ago in a very developed Western country uh, with very high you know, standards in one sense, but a complete rejection of God. 
During the Weimar Republic in the mid-20th century, more than half of all German physicians became early and enthusiastic members of the Nazi party. The medical profession did not spend much time thinking about who they should uh, be aligned with. Interestingly enough, um, the medical profession was the most highly represented of all the professions in terms of Nazi membership. And uh, you know, if you think about the last three years, that really shouldn't surprise you, um, I think, unfortunately. From the early days, the German Medical Society played an instrumental role in the Nazi medical program, beginning with the marginalization of Jewish physicians, proceeding to coerced experimentation, brutal experimentation, as some of you know, euthanasia and sterilization, and culminating in genocide via the medicalization of mass murder of Jews and other caricatured and demonized individuals who did not bow to the state. Many German physicians welcomed the Nazi regime because it supported their beliefs about eugenics. This was heavily entrenched in the early 20th century, eugenics. This breeding and uh, using genetics to, uh, to weed out weak people so that we're going to create a strong, you know, strong human being, stronger human beings. And, uh, they support, and so others joined in because they could take advantage of the opportunities to advance their careers and earn more money. That was always the case by some people. They think that they can get the advantage. Many doctors benefited from the Nazi removal of the Jewish doctors, providing more opportunities because you got rid of people. So you get rid of some people, that means I can advance faster. Isn't that great? not thinking of the implications. Before the Nazis rose to power in 1933, Christian nursing societies were dominant in Germany. Most of the nursing societies were Christian, at least in word, not necessarily in practice, as we'll, as we'll find out. German nursing changed dramatically under the Nazi period. There were external changes in terms of the improved social status of nursing, the unification of the professional nursing organizations, the laws affecting nursing, and the politicization of the profession. It became very political, as, as these things do. They become very politically driven, no longer nursing and caring for human beings anymore. What does the government want? They were effectively made arms of the state and given privileges based upon their obedience. And the Nazis also barred Jewish nurses from the profession, as uh, we are aware. Nazi propaganda promoted the idea that nursing was a patriotic service to the state. Nazi nurses associations encouraged the values of duty and obedience to the state. Nursing schools began indoctrinating students with Nazi ideology through classes on race and eugenics. Many nurses who did not necessarily support the Nazi regime still implemented its discriminatory and murderous policies through the course of their regular daily work. And since nurses engaged patients much more frequently than doctors directly, nurses were often the ones that applied the regime's policies. They were heavily involved in the medical uh, horrors of Nazi Germany. Nurses played a central role in the so-called euthanasia program. And under this program, they estimate that 250,000 children and adults with mental and physical disabilities were murdered, killed by starvation, lethal injection, or gassing. Doctors became the unseen generals 
in Hitler's war against Jews and others that were deemed inferior. Doctors created the science, devised the eugenic formulas, wrote the legislation, and even hand-selected the victims for sterilization, euthanasia, and mass extermination. These are doctors. Hitler's deputy, Rudolf Hess, in 1934 coined a popular adage in the Reich. He said the following, and I think this is a very, very powerful statement coming from... Uh, Rudolf Hess, and it's very powerful in the sense of uh, description and uh, giving us good information about what they're, where they're thinking is, national socialism is nothing but applied biology. National socialism is nothing but applied biology. We're going to control the people, the biology. We'll do all of that. That'll, that'll give us our utopian, utopian vision, political vision. The best way to describe this is totalitarian medicine basically. That's why I use that in the title of this series. The entire German healthcare system was mobilized. Select, selection for forced sterilization was a medical procedure. Physicians registered patients. Get a load of this. F physicians registered patients with genetic illnesses. They were all registered. I mean, the Germans did things very detailed, very precise. Created the laws that they followed very precisely. Very organized, well-structured. Completely evil. Genetic illness, just like they registered births and deaths, high-ranking medical academics submitted written expert medical opinions. I mean, nothing was going to happen unless you had an expert medical opinion attesting to the individual's disability was due to genetically determined disease. They would determine what disease you had and what problem you had. Final authorization for forced sterilization was made by an hereditary health court. They had a court that would make these decisions. And of course, that was made up of two physicians and a judge. That was going to make it right, right? So you sort of, hopefully you're getting where I'm going here in terms of what happens in society. And we aren't too far away from this, as we know, in our own country of Canada. I quote, it says, the sterilization law must be looked upon as an expression of loving care for the coming generations as an act of altruism. The elimination of defective genes is not of itself sufficient to keep our nation healthy and energetic for this purging must be complemented by positive population measures. This was a good for the future generation. We're doing all of this for the future because we love humanity this is our service to mankind. It always gets wrapped, uh, doesn't it, in these glowing terms. We see this. The Bible tells us this all the time. Man's sinfulness. He has to justify what he's doing as they turn from God. Interesting enough, another, I take a quote here from an article that was actually in the Washington Post in 1987. It speaks also of the, the tie between Nazism and also communism. Big government, big statism. And this is a quote from an article by George Will. He says that uh, in 1939, there was a Nazi-Soviet pact of joining a kindred spirits. In the New York Review of Books, uh, one author says that German doctors were dazzled to discover that under Hitler, medicine was the central intellectual resource of the new order. 
Doctors practice biological soldiering, perfecting the race by killing the unfit and using them for research to benefit the master race. And in the Soviet Union, in many of the communist countries, psychiatry, we'll have a little talk about that later in our study, because, uh, you know, the med medicine, of course, uh, rejects the idea of a spirit. It's just the physical body. And can you actually look after any human being if you reject the spirit? I mean, that's not really a human being anymore, is it? Um, and uh, if you reject sin, and you don't understand man's alienation with God, can you actually look after somebody in any kind of holistic fashion? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Um, but the area of psychiatry can be really twisted, and the Soviet Union uh, was very good at this, and they, they, so they took um, the area of psychiatry, and um, Marxists believe that anything will yield to their science backed by force. They determine the science, back it by force, you bow. Simple as that. Khrushchev, uh, one of the leaders of the Soviet Union after World War II, said in Pravda, which is our, you know, as analogy, Pravda was a prop propaganda uh, newspaper, uh, similar to the CBC today uh, in Canada. Um, he, Khrushchev was quoted in Pravda in 1959 about people. He said, quote, who might start calling for opposition to communism, clearly the mental state of such people is not normal. Anyone who opposes, you're not normal. What do you do? Those who oppose the state were deemed um, and defined as mentally unstable. What happened next? They were either drugged up, experimented on, locked up, or simply killed. You don't fit the state. You don't go along with this program. You must be a mentally unstable. We'll use uh, psychiatrists. We'll back that up. Probably the most unstable people in our culture uh, would be psychiatrists, right? Uh, these people are very confused, right? And so, this, so the point of going through that is that they think there's nothing new under the sun. This is just going back to the German experience, not to pick on the Germans. My, you know, um, uh, my wife is German, and I say my kids are half German, and uh, we love the Germans and uh, so forth. But this can happen in any population set. And we're seeing this in Canada, United States, around the world, and historically long before the situation in Germany, this has happened in country after country after country. The issue is with technology being more advanced, they can do even more dastardly things. And we need to be prepared for that. We don't need to be naive. That's the point. Christians should not be naive to the risks of a culture that has rejected God and the implications of how that works itself out. Does this, some of this sound familiar to you? What about the last three years living with COVID-19, right? What about the forced lockdowns, forced masking, quarantining of the healthy, the destruction of private businesses, the doubling of our national debts, the attacks on protesters, the jailing of dissenters, the closing of churches, the imprisonment of pastors, culminating in mandates to take an experimental vaccine, putting a drug in your body, and that should, all the lights should be going, flashing, everywhere, when you see all of these things line up. And as we know now, and we knew at the time largely, I think it's fair to say, we sh and we should have known at the time, these were all lies. Every one of these things that they came up with were lie after lie after lie after lie by a very, very corrupt state and medical profession that just capitulated largely with the exception of a few doctors. 
During the last three years, it's been doctors and nurses working with public health in the state and supported by research facilities, including our hospitals and universities, who have pushed the whole COVID-19 narrative. Sadly, the majority of the population fell for their lies and deceit or refused to object to the lies. Instead, the majority bowed to the experts and to science, and little to no questioning was uh, commenced. While we are being told to worship the frontline health professionals on our, as our saviors and deliverers, remember that? They were as a group lining up behind a thoroughly corrupt and antichrist state ready to do whatever they were told. That's the reality. I just read a recent article just yesterday. I, you know, I have to see if this is true, but you know, the WEF, the World Economic Forum, is saying that the U.S. should impose one-child policy on white families in the United States to promote diversity, reduce inequality, and usher in an era of post-politics where no one disagrees on major issues. Like somehow this is going to stop disagreements. Are you kidding me? What on earth does that mean? You're getting just more eugenics. More breeding influence of the state into the people's reproductive habits and so forth and more control. I find it quite interesting that the people who are closest to some of the evil are often the ones who are fooled by the fraud the most. And that's why you have to be very careful listening to experts. Experts are the most vulnerable to believing the stuff that comes out of their, uh, their places of research. And nowhere is that more easily seen than in the medical halls. Doctors, 96% of them vaccinated with multiple jabs um, and uh, knowing full well that this is risky. Still taking this stuff even after all the science, you know, real science that's been out there tells you that this is incredibly risky. Should never have been foisted on the population in the first place. And yet they still are holding to the narrative. They will not let this go. And it tells you that the darkness, the depravity of the human heart, and uh, that people, once they're duped into a fraud, it's very difficult to get them out of it. And we need to be thankful for those who have stood up and are standing up, and we need to continue to push back and protect our freedoms, our liberties. And we'll talk about that down the road. This is just to give you, get you warmed up here. Okay, so that's a bit of an introduction there. First, let me talk about the ideology of healthcare. then. Just shift over. Today, the training of healthcare workers and the philosophy of modern medicine rejects four, at least, and these are four general truths, I think essential truths. And uh, there's many more, but I'm just going to hone in on these. First, modern medicine rejects the doctrine of creation. They do not believe that the triune God is the creator and sustainer of all things, including the human body. It's a complete rejection of creation and the creator. I'm not saying that about all doctors. I'm saying about the medical system itself. Second, they reject the fact that man is both body, material, and spirit, non-material. If you begin with evolution, there's no basis for a spiritual aspect or dimension to mankind, and this will have serious implications on how you practice healthcare, to say the least. Very serious. Um, third, modern medicine rejects the truth that man is made in the image of God, the pinnacle of the creation, and is to have dominion over all of the creation. Fourth, they reject the Bible as God's supernatural and all-sufficient revelation, which makes clear 
that man has rebelled against God, and as a result, God has cursed the creation. That death, disease, and illness are ultimately rooted to sin. And this becomes very, very important when you're dealing with health care. Rejecting these four essential truths has significant implications for the practice of medicine. The current medical model reflects the dominant view of our neo-pagan society. And let me just give you some of the implications of that. Just quickly, in terms of overview, we'll go into more details as we proceed. This means that there is no ultimate basis for meaning, value, including human beings. We have no value, no basis for true value in the medical system under their philosophical base. That's important. If you walk into our hospitals now and you see that just the dramatic change in the last 20 years, you can see that, you know what, less and less people really matter. It's the system, the bureaucracy. It's just horrible, horrible to see, see what's happened to our own hospitals in, in Canada. Second, man is not unique because he's not made in the image of God and only exists by blind chance. Man must replace God and take control over the universe. And this is ultimately what we're seeing happen. There is no God? Well, man's going to become God. And we're going to run things. We're not going to bow to the Creator. And in fact, as we'll see, and as we saw back in our study in the Doctrine of Man, we want to get rid of God. We want to become post-human. Transhuman and then post-human. Throw off the shackles of God. So that we, our God, are, we, we be, replace him. That has serious implications for your med medicine and medical practice. Third, there's no basis to treat humankind differently from animals or other parts of the universe. Medicine completely discounts the spiritual dimension of man and man's alienation from God. Fourth, there are no moral absolutes and therefore ethics are reduced to individual choices and have no ultimate significance. Might makes right in this world. And that's also something, again, we see when it comes into the medical system. Might makes right. I have more power over you than I'm right. And you're wrong. And you suffer, and I will ultimately get done what I want to get done. Most importantly, illness and death are part of the natural, meaningless order of things. In rejecting the space-time fall of Genesis 3, medicine does not have the correct view of disease, sickness, or death nor can it ever have the ultimate remedy for sickness and death. That ultimate remedy is only in Christ. And yes, we're going to have physical issues along the way, and we'll talk about that. But the ultimate healer, the ultimate one in control, is God himself. Of course, that's not even in the picture. They have no understanding of, sick, of, of, of illness, uh, a proper understanding of illness if you don't understand sin and the curse that God has placed on this world. Thankfully, that curse which Christ has become a curse for us and become life, and he gives us eternal life. Um, and uh, so these things are, are important. You contrast that medical model with a Christian worldview, just to give you a, a quick contrast there. For a Christian, meaning and value are rooted in the character of God, our creator. Man is unique and radically different from animals, made in the image of God, and the one who has been given dominion over, dominion over all the creation. God has placed mankind in resourceful earth, and our moral behavior and lifestyle will have a direct bearing on our health. Even in a fallen world, there's principles that we should be living by in this world if we are going to be healthy and think in terms of being healthy. 
The most important of that is a relationship with God. Not necessarily what you eat, although that is important. And getting some exercise, which is, again, important. And feeds our physical health and mental well-being. But ultimately, it's peace with God through Jesus Christ will be foundational to any of our health and being healthy individuals and facing life uh, the way we should. Um, in a Christian worldview, ethics are normative and binding. Choices have eternal consequences, not just here on this earth, but forever. Man's ultimate problem is sin and spiritual death, which is far more serious than bodily death. Far more serious. Man's alienation from his creator and lack of peace with God creates serious physical and mental health issues. And that's, uh, I would argue, one of the reasons why the most, um, you know, one of the most prescribed drugs of all are antidepressants. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, that when we look at a couple of the huge drug consumption that goes on in our culture. Uh, just as examples, I'm going to use antidepressants as an example. You also use uh, statins, drugs, you know, for the heart and so forth. You can use those as examples of just this tremendous machinery that's been created, this, this uh, whole pharmaceutical industry. But... Um, but ultimately, uh, we have to deal with that in terms of Christian terms. Then illness and health are abnormal. Christ has conquered death, and the Lord uses sickness and death to accomplish his sovereign purposes. See, God even uses sickness and illness and death to shape and mold us for his purposes, for our good and his glory in ways that, you know, are beyond us sometimes and very difficult for us to understand. It only takes faith to trust in him and know that he loves us and he cares for us. I just got an email um, two days ago from a very good friend. And um, he's been, he and his wife have been in missionaries for years here in Canada, power to change on university campuses and so forth, um, doing an amazing work. And uh, all of a sudden they got called back from uh, being on the mission field. I think they were down in South America. I don't know all the details. And their son was found after being a day or two in a, in a diabetic coma. And, uh, you know, they, fortunately, someone did come upon him, um, and they've got him into the hospital, and they've stabilized most of him, but they don't know whether there's going to be a, you know, a brain to function, basically, at this point. And there's, everyone's offering up prayers, and you, you look at that, and you think, wow, how did something like that happen? And, um, and they're just asking everybody, pray, pray, pray. We, we, this ultimately, it looks like it's going to have to be a miracle. I mean, it's going to have to be a miracle. I mean, God is going to have to step in and heal that boy. Um, or this, or he will not be able to live. You know, things like these things happen, right? We know that. We've seen this in our own church. Um, but we have to put them in Christian worldview and understand them in terms of how God um, uh, deals with these things in a fallen world for His purposes. You see, in rejecting the Christian worldview, the medical model and the practice of medicine has become thoroughly atheistic, materialistic, and increasingly pagan. As the influence of Christianity wanes in our culture. You just have to, again, spend time in our medical facilities to see how death-oriented they are. You go in and you have an ultrasound, and um, we've seen this in our own church, and I know friends also, if there's anything they think is wrong, abort that child. Down syndrome, abort that child. You know, you just basically, we're in control, and we just do what we will. We have complete autonomy. Uh, we have power over that. That's my body. I'll do whatever I want with it type of thing. That whole mentality is awesome. We've seen the maid. Medical assistance in dying. And how that now is extended basically to anybody who is frustrated with life and thinks that it's better for them to die. With no fear of God. 
that spiritual death is far worse than bodily death. But if you're a doctor and you don't believe that, how can you be a real doctor and administer proper health care if you've completely eliminate the afterlife and what's going to happen and the responsibility to God and so forth, and uh, you get the picture. Why is it important to look at the philosophy of healthcare? Well, if our starting point for modern medicine is an impersonal chance universe, then it'll only follow that your philosophy and practice of healthcare will reflect an impersonal and chance universe bereft of values and ethics and moral absolutes. What will this inevitably lead to in a fallen world? A healthcare model that promotes death, not life. And that's where we're at here in Canada. We have a healthcare system that increasingly is promoting death, not life. As Christians, we choose life. We choose life now, from conception until God takes us home. We choose eternal life by God's grace in Jesus Christ. So it's not just even this world. Our focus is on the next life, forever, eternity. And uh, in Christ, our eternal life begins now. That's the exciting thing about the gospel, right? When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we now enter in, not fully, obviously, because we're going to have to go through death in this life, but we now enter into eternal life through Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why I read that verse in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to recount, record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, um, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that thou, both thou and thy seed may live. So let me just give you a couple of examples in our own country that sort of bring this a little bit more, put a little bit more meat on this in terms of this introduction here and just get, getting you to think about what we're facing and uh, not just pretending that the medical doctors and nurses um, are neutral, that this is some kind of neutral ground when you walk into the hospital. It's not neutral ground. There's no neutrality in this world. It's either for Christ or against Christ. And we must understand that. Christians have been so like, oh, yeah, it's just fine. It's, I'll let the government pay. You know, my, my health card is better than my credit card when it comes to health care. No, it's not. We're going to find that out. We are finding it out. There's no free lunch. No free lunch. And uh, Christians need to really wake up, and uh, especially now with what we see on the horizon. So let me give a couple examples. First, when it comes to medical ethics, without... Um, without God to root your ethics, you're only left with sociological conventions or relativistic norms. That's all you're left with if you don't have absolute ethics. Everything's, everything's moving. Everything's fluid. And it'll go to the one with the power, which is, in most cases, the state. But the problem with relativistic ethics and morality is that you cannot give concrete answers to complex dilemmas emanating from today's advanced medical and biotechnological developments. And we have a lot of them. And without moral absolutes, we're faced with some real challenges. Where do we draw the lines if there's no personal creator who has spoken to us in his word? We don't have the scriptures as our base to give us the principles by which we are to operate and to make these important decisions going forward with all of these advanced technologies that we're seeing. In rejecting the Christian worldview, modern medicine believes that humans are the masters of their own fate. They're able to improve their physical and mental abilities through drugs, artificial uh, reproduction, genetic engineering, technology, and ultimately by throwing off the shackles of being a human made in the image of God and, and, and body and spirit. That's the ultimate goal, as you see here. This, it's really demonic. Is that we just want to throw off completely 
the shackles of this body that God has given us. We want to completely reject Genesis 1 and 2, and uh, in Genesis 3 also. For example, how can the medical model deal effectively with gender dysphoria? Which I don't even like using it, explaining it that way, but just using the terms of our day. If it's ultimately driven by sin and rebellion against God, how can medical doctors who reject the scriptures deal with this problem? Who can deal with the issue of gender confusion if you have the underlying medical model, which is evolutionary, materialistic? I mean, we can deal with it because we understand that sin brings in a conflict between God and his creation. And so people then can say, well, this, this sin is manifest in so many different ways. And one way it can be manifested in is trying to reject your biological gender, what the gender that God has made you in. And the only way you're going to deal with that is through the cross and through regeneration and through the Holy Spirit that comes and uh, bears witness that, no, no, this is what God has created you in bowing to God's will in understanding sin and, the, and the, that tension that exists. But if you reject that, which they do, of course they have anti-conversion laws, that's why. Because they know that those conversion laws are powerful. That they will change people's thinking and heart and spirit um, if, they're, if they're presented with the gospel. And they don't want that. They want you to be in your deadness. And, um, but uh, medicine solution, what's, med what's the medical solution now to gender dysphoria that we see in our culture? drug them up, medically castrate, and then mutilate the body. That's the solution. People, that's the solution. And you can start now and you celebrate children, uh, parents that are, you know, are starting to do changes in their children and condition them when they're three years old, four years old. And as you can see, this is totalitarian medicine. It is barbaric. There's no other word for it, but barbaric. And this is what happens when you reject Christian truth. You reject Christ, the life giver. This is what happens. Now, I use that as an example. Only Christianity and the Bible can provide an answer and solution to those who are having difficulties living consistently with their biological gender. Because, again, it's the issue of sin and the need for regeneration, the need to bow to God as creator and sustainer and our redeemer. And that will bring a change. Today, the desire to, is to make man God. The whole thrust of transhumanism and posthumanism, which we talked about, again, about a year ago, is to reject mankind as created by God. And how ironic is it that medicine is supposed to take care of the human body is ultimately marching side by side with those who want to destroy the body. And in fact, ultimately, their goal, as we've talked about before, is to get rid of this body of death because it's a pain and it doesn't last. And somehow, through biochemical, you know, biochemical actions in our brain and brain, brain transmitters, we're going to upload our brains into an iMac or some kind, of, some kind of robot, and that's going to give us eternal life. Isn't that rather ironic that those who are supposed to be caring for our body, ultimately, the end objective is to get rid of this thing and to have a post-human existence in some kind of utopia place. As we know, that'll never happen. And utopias, you know, the words for utopia is nowhere. And that place does not exist. The problem is pursuing those policies will be brutal. That's what we're seeing. And we must be aware of that and push back. Second, just another example, as healthcare costs rise 
and bureaucratic inefficiency and corruption devour our economic resources, the state will not be able to pay the medical bills it has promised to pay. We know that. Why we ever believe they could in the first place or would, I'm not sure. I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to make that decision back in the 60s when they brought OSIP uh, in and then changed it to OHIP. Um, when people thought that that was going to be a good idea, it's just like, what? You're just like, you just love to get these people by the throat and say, what were you thinking? It's impossible that it works out well. Impossible. To hand your control over your body over to the state? Why? How could we possibly trust that this is going to work out well? And so we're, what we're seeing here is that uh, this can only lead to a rationing of health care. This rationing of health care will intensify in the days ahead, as we know. And today we're seeing the rationing largely through queues, massive queues. You get backloads and back, backlogs that are massive, right? I have a friend that uh, needs a, an ablation in his heart, and uh, I think it was going to be eight or nine months to get it done. Um, he's sitting at home just hoping he survives and he lives long enough to get this thing done. It's crazy, right? And he's a very successful business guy, paid all sorts of taxes, millions of dollars in taxes over the years. Um, that doesn't matter. It's like, so what? You know what? Wait. Go to other places where uh, they have a medical system. You can get it done basically in 48 hours. But Ontario, it's free, right? It's free. We have a $400 billion debt in this province, the worst of any sub-sovereign state in the world, but we have free medicine and a really well-running education system too, which is the other big part of the provincial budget, right? I mean, the two areas that they're like 70% of the budget, both of them are an abysmal failure, abysmal failure, and only getting worse. Um, so we see that rationing resources. That's not all that's being promoted. You cannot dispense with the life giver, as I said, without embracing a culture of death. And we see the culture of death all around us, and it's not even subtle anymore. I mean, it used to be a little more subtle. It's not subtle anymore, is it? The devil is right out there with all of this. Experts, including medical experts, touting the need for massive depopulation of mankind in order to save the planet from the existential crisis of climate change. This is a big one, right? You can see this everywhere. And there's no existential crisis of climate change. This is completely manufactured. But if you say it you know, long enough and you, and you promote it long enough, people without Christ, without an anchor, without a basis, without trust in the sovereign creator and sustainer of this universe... They'll believe it, and they'll start to do crazy things, um, including pushing depopulation. As you know, the big objective by the so-called elites is to get the population down to under a billion people. And you sort of say, well, aren't we like seven or eight billion? Mm, how is that going to happen? You know, you should be asking that question. What does God think about that? What does God think about that? You think that's uh, something that Christians should be concerned about? Very concerned about. This, wor this world has resources that, and there's been very detailed studies that could easily support 50 to 60 billion people with very high st standards of living. This is a very resourceful earth. But if you have an atheistic worldview and you want control and power and you're energized by Satan, then you want to go after what God has told us to do in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation mandate, and you want to go after it and you want to destroy it. 
You want to destroy mankind. It's a culture of death. So-called experts openly celebrating the promotion, the promoting the right to abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, suicide for anyone who wants it, all paid for and packaged up with a bow by our government now. Nice sounding uh, acronym made. The promotion of deviant sexuality, of course, ending in the insanity of transgenderism. And then even now in our day, we see the support for legal drug consumption. We're funding the legal drug consumption on the streets. I have not been to Vancouver recently, but uh, they're telling me that big sections of Vancouver, I mean, because it's, it doesn't get quite as cold there and so forth, so people can be a little more homeless and, and be outside and so forth a bit more. It's just brutal what's happening in that beautiful, once beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city. Just the depravity of man. And we'll just fund them. We'll let, we'll let them stay in their sin. Um, we don't need to change these people. We're not going to rehabilitate them. They don't have a gospel of rehabilitation, do they? Christians do. Our first thing to do with people who are struggling with health, health addictions, uh, drug addictions, and so on, is by God's grace, we want to rehabilitate these people. We love these people. We want to teach them, give them the gospel. That's the way medicine should be practiced in our, our health care and psychiatry. Oh, not in our days. Like, they're expendable. Just let them take, keep taking drugs until they die in the street. That's policy now in British Columbia. Our federal uh, leader of the Conservative Party, Pierre Pove, is trying to push back against that. And, and I know the, um, the, uh, the current premier, uh, Daniel Smith, in Alberta is trying to come up with more rehabilitation centers. We can care for these people. But why care for them if you have an evolutionary model? Why care for them if we're just blind chance, if we're just inconvenient? Why care for people if we're increasing the carbon, you know, carbon content and sending up too much CO2. These are expendable. These are useless people. Get rid of them. That's modern medicine as it's being developed. Um, it's serious. What is perhaps most shocking of all is that our healthcare institutions, including our hospitals, as I said before, are really becoming the killing fields in the West. Hospitals which were largely started by Christians as places for God's love to be manifest in the care of the sick and the ministering of the gospel, these things were both put side by side, the ministering of the gospel along with the ministering to the sick in the hospitals, um, are now transitioning. These places that were once set up by Christians, organized by Christians, promoting the right things, transitioning to places of mass murder. And uh, we see that in our society. See, most Christians, including Christian doctors, have not been able to discern the difference between a biblical and non-biblical worldview. They have been taught to maintain neutral, non-judgmental attitude. This attitude is not biblical, as I said earlier. The Bible allows for no neutrality. Rather, it speaks of light and darkness, good and evil. It contrasts that um, do not allow a Christian to be neutral in any of these areas. Furthermore, if Christians believe that all Scripture is able to thoroughly furnish us and adequately equip us for every good work as we uh, read in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, then our starting point must be a thorough understanding of God's word and a bringing of all of our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ, as Paul emphasizes in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. This must be the case. Outsourcing our medical and health care needs to the, states, uh, to the state was sheer folly. Most importantly, as we will see in this study, it's unbiblical. The government has no right involved in our care of our bodies. Absolutely no right whatsoever. As, in the as it has, should have a right in teaching our children, either. 
in terms of education. My brother Stephen uh, recently wrote a very good article. Some of you might have seen that. It was called, Thou Shalt Be Vaccinated When Love Thy Neighbor Does Not Fulfill the Law. I encourage you to get a hold of that article. It's very well done in his Christ Overall uh, uh, website. But it's a very short but really succinct um, dealing with this whole issue of the vaccine. We were told in the church, love your neighbor, get the vaccine. Well, as he points out, loving your neighbor um, does not mean you live by lies and deception. That's not loving your neighbor. That's not biblically loving your neighbor. These Christians who use those kind of expressions were wrong to do that. Absolutely wrong. They didn't understand the biblical text at all. And, and uh, pushing something on a society that's untested, um, experimental, and so forth is not loving your neighbor. That's bowing to the state. It's a very good article. I encourage you to read by Just to read a couple excerpts from it as we finish this morning. He said, most importantly, as we will, um, my brother Stephen wrote recently the following in terms of the COVID-19 vaccines. What was surprising and disconcerting at the same time was how easily Christians trusted their government leaders without question, especially in the face of all the growing evidence to the contrary. It's as if we have never learned from the past. After all, less than 100 years ago, leaders in Germany joined together with the medical establishment to pursue crimes against humanity. Similar, similarly, the Tuskegee experiment marked a terrible abuse of power in our own country, this is in the U.S., when government-funded doctors experimented on blacks from 1932 all the way up to 1972. That's pretty recent. Stephen goes on, he says, Do we think that our government, whose worldview has no basis for upholding human dignity and value, is not capable of doing this today? Do we actually take the doctrine of sin seriously? Have we learned nothing from history? It's time for the church to wake up regarding the precise time that we live in. As the church, we need to recommit to the truth of God's word and apply it as truth in all of life, including the healthcare industry. We must realize that those who rule over us and control our medical health system are not governed by the same concern for human life and dignity that we are as Christians. The time we live in requires vigilance and courage to stand for the truth in the midst of a world of lies and deception. The great need for the church today is to follow the exhortation of Paul, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so I'll end it there. We have a couple of minutes, but next week we'll pick it up and go right into the medical model. How does it work? And what are the, uh, the problems with it? Uh, and then the following two weeks, we're actually just piece by piece look at a Christian view of healthcare biblically and go through all of the different uh, areas. So I'm going to end there. Are there any questions, observations um, in terms of that? Hopefully, again, that challenges us to really think that uh, what's coming down the pipe, um, much, of, much of the evil we're going to see in the future is going to come with people with white coats, stethoscopes around their neck, research papers in their hands, telling you that they're doing you a real service. Don't believe it. Sarah. Um, 
because I was raised by a single parent and money was tight. So I'm like, oh, that's what a wonderful thing that we had access to that. Now, obviously, God's design is for a mom, a dad, a financially stable household where you're able to do that. And I so see the benefit in privatized health care. But what I'm just curious, like what in your mind solution wise would there be like because things do happen, you know, say you have a stable family, but there's an accident and a parent is lost or, yeah, you know, yeah. what does that look like in a, in a yeah. having privatized health care, having say over our body that isn't controlled by the state. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, is it like within the church you help with that? Like, what would that look like financially for someone who couldn't necessarily? Yeah, the, the question that? becomes that. Uh, um, that there are healthcare procedures that are expensive, and some people might not be able to afford those. And I think that you've got to really look at the whole system and step back a, back a second. Long before the state involved got involved, hospitals were run very well, and, and people got the services that they needed. And uh, they were cared for, especially in, you take a country like Canada, and that's because there were also social, um, you know, monies allocated by churches, charitable organizations, help for families, um, and so on. Uh, to, to pay for those, uh, to pay for those items, people weren't turned away from hospitals. This is this is a misconception. It's a lie from the state. Um, the other issue it does raise, though, is that people need to increasingly be accountable for their health, also. And so, you know, th th there's many facets to this, and we'll talk a little bit about it. Some of it, um, you know, I, I might sidestep, <laughs> but uh, but you know, the issue then becomes. Um, is it moral? Here, I'll, I'll throw out a question. Is it moral for, and I'll use, again, just a hypothetical situation, for a person that's maybe in their mid-80s who has never looked after their health very well, who needs a hip replacement or knee replacement, does not have the money, and foists that upon a state that doesn't have the money either, that goes into debt in a fallen world and pushes that on another generation? Is that actually moral? I would argue, though, it's immoral. Actually, I, I argue that that's absolutely immoral, yeah. So we've, we've come up with this kind of thing that it's our right to get anything that is available in a fallen world, um, and I think that that's, that's clearly wrong. Now, if the state wasn't involved, the church and Christians and hospitals would be run uh, much differently, and it's not good to use of the states, because the United States is a very twisted system. That's one uh, that's, been, that's been, you know, set up by regulators and lobby groups I mean, the pharmaceutical industry spends $6 billion in the last 20 years lobbying politicians in the United States. So you have a very confused uh, system down there, a bit of private, bit, you know, a, a bit of everything going on. Um, I think it gets back to, again, care, regional, locally, and uh, caring for people uh, at that level, and churches involved, and so forth. And it also should put pressure on people to have family life, and responsible families. In other words, we have a system, a social welfare system, that rewards the breakdown of the family, rewards men who take off, gives money to people. Again, we have to, this, this has to be all, it's all re, it needs to all be reordered. We have a system that, uh, um, uh, you know, sin pays in one sense if you're going to get government handouts. It never pays, as we know. And so, yeah, so it's a, big, it's a big issue, big question, but there are much better alternative ways to look after that. What's happened now, and we run out of time, is that uh, if you look at the bureaucracy of the healthcare system, more and more money goes to the front office and the uh, and the, uh, the people wearing ties or whatever they're doing, sitting at home maybe, um, uh, but not to doctors and to nurses, not to frontline work anymore. Similar to if you look at our school system, if you go to I was just at a meeting this week uh, with a local Christian school, and I mean there, there's no hierarchy. You have a little you know board that works for free. You have the teachers and you have this school that's running as efficiently, effectively. 
You go to the Halton board and you look at the way things are run, you've got bureaucracies, inefficiencies, people are on the dole. How do I build an empire that's self-sustaining that makes me rule over more people so I can make more money? And that happens through the whole system. And you see that in spades in our Ontario healthcare system. And so, yeah, so there's lots of things. So, good question. Okay, well, we'll end. We'll pick it up next week, Lord willing. And hopefully, again, that challenge you to think about these things um, and, uh, and go forward so we're better prepared going forward in the future. Father, we do thank you indeed for your, your word and for its instruction. And as we have opportunity in the weeks ahead to, to look into your order of your creation, your world, and the way you would have us do things uh, we pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to um, be those who are, are ambassadors of Christ and servants. And pray especially for those that are amongst us that uh, are doctors and nurses and work in these fields. We pray that uh, you would protect them and use them and that they would bring the love of Christ and the compassion of Christ um, into the hospitals, into the healthcare system, and that uh, we would see a dramatic change as people... Um, are, are come to a saving knowledge of Christ. So we pray for our health professionals. We pray for those that, uh, that as I say, are in this church that uh, work in these areas and other Christians that uh, are bearing witness and testimony to Christ, that you would use them in a mighty way and that you would protect us, we pray. Be with us now as we look forward to the morning service. We pray that you would be in all aspects of that, the preaching of the world, word and the uh, time that we have around the Lord's table, that it would be a blessing that uh, we worship you in spirit and truth and that you be glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen.